Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom, it's great to be with you again uh, today. I hope that you've been enjoying our program and that you've been following uh, us as we study the Word of God, as we focus on uh, the five books of Moses, which we call the Torah. And I know that it's a little bit uh, of uh, work to get through these because we're not as used to it and not many preachers take on the five books of Moses. We know that it's part of the Bible, but usually we get through Genesis and then kind of skip to uh, Deuteronomy maybe, and then uh, maybe to Matthew. <laughs> but uh, in the synagogue, we read through the five books of Moses every year, and they're divided up into 52-plus portions, and so it's really wonderful. And the more that you read the Old Testament, the more it opens up like a flower, and the spiritual lessons just become so vital and so uh, important. And they are important. And we're going to cover one of those uh, chapters today that has tremendous importance in every sphere of life. And so welcome, Bobby. You ready for Leviticus 25? Yes, Mitch, uh, you know that I am. And uh, shalom to you and shalom to everyone, all of our listeners. We're so happy that you're joining us and as we continue in this study, in our, in our look through the book of Leviticus. And in Leviticus 25, something is mentioned, something is commanded that I think is, is really part of uh, you know, Christian culture, and people have heard of it, but they may not be fully aware of what's in there. And that is the year of Jubilee. So if it's okay with you, I'm just going to go ahead and read the text. Sure. So Leviticus 25, beginning in verse 8, says this, You are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, so that you have the time of the seven Sabbaths of years, namely 49 years. You shall then sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall sound a horn all through your land. You shall thus consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim a release." Now, another translation for this word release is the word liberty. Uh, So you are to proclaim liberty. So proclaim liberty or release through all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his family. You shall have the 50th year as a jubilee. You shall not sow or reap its aftergrowth, nor gather in its untrimmed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its crops out of the field, and on this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. Right. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And uh, so, you know, there's a few things that sort of stand out when we read this passage in Leviticus 25. Some things are, are kind of curious, but I think the big theme with the year of Jubilee, again, is this idea of liberty or proclaiming a, a release. So proclaiming liberty, proclaiming release throughout all the lands, and again, it would come once every 50 years. And then another unique thing about this is when it begins, because the text says that it's supposed to begin with the blowing of a ram's horn or the blowing of the shofar on the 10th day of the seventh month, which we know, uh, as we've discussed in in previous episodes, that is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is considered the, the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. And this is unique because nowhere else is Yom Kippur a new year. So freedom and redemption and release 
begins with atonement. Right. Leviticus 17.11, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. As believers, we understand that the year of redemption, the year of release, is the year you accept Jesus as your Savior and Messiah, and you're covered by his blood, and you're forgiven of your sin. Amen. And uh, Leviticus 25 provides a sort of a great backdrop for us to actually understand what redemption and what freedom and release really means. But Bobby, I'm going to give you a quick quiz here. Okay. So the Hebrew word uh, yovel Mm -hmm. is the word translated jubilee, but do you know what it really means? Oh, come on. Don't look it up. The word yovel? Oh, man. What what does it mean? What is it? Um, It's translated. I'll give you a tip. Yes. It makes a sound. It makes a sound. It's the ram's horn. Yovel? Yovel. The word is actually the word for ram's horn. Interesting. It is. Okay. I, I did not know this. It's sort of like in Rosh Hashanah, the festival of the new year, which in the Jewish calendar falls out in September or October. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Yom Truah. Yom Truah. The day of the what? Of blasting. It's untranslatable, actually. It's just the day of the toot toot. I mean, you know, that's that's the best that's the best you can do. You know, it's the sound that the horn makes. And um, in this instance, it could have been Yom Yovel, the day of the shofar, uh, but it, but it wasn't. Why? I don't know. I'd have to ask God. I, I could guess and make believe I know, but I don't. But in this instance, it's the blowing of the shofar. Uh, that sounds the release. And, uh, you know, one day we're going to hear a shofar blowing too. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that's going to be the day that the Lord uh, calls us up. That's graduation day, uh, when you hear the blowing of the, of, of the shofar. Um, now, interestingly, Leviticus 25, in the portion you just read, mm-hmm. uh, is built upon the earlier part of the passage, and that has to do with the sabbatical year. So you have six years... You can do things normally. On the seventh year, you're supposed to let the land go fallow. But there's something that's far more dramatic that happens at the 50th year. So we have actually seven sabbatical years, but that seventh sabbatical year is the year of Jubilee. And we announce it on Yom Kippur, Mm -hmm. and it lasts for a year. But during that year, it's not merely that the crops do not grow or that the land is fallow and that people learn new lessons of depending upon God for their daily bread. It actually is a time when those who went into debt and indentured themselves to fellow Israelites to serve them, and eventually, uh, if they enjoyed being with them uh, in the seventh year, they could put an earring in their ear and then serve them uh, forever. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing that turns everything on its head is in that year of Jubilee, all land reverts back to the families who originally owned the land. And if we remember, God gave the land, divided it up among the uh, tribes of Israel, and everybody got a portion of of the land, except the Levites. They didn't have their own land. Right, because their portion was the Lord. Their portion was the Lord, right. And so— at the time of Jubilee, in that 50th year, everybody gets their land back. So if you were, if you had sold it, you get it back. If you were an indentured slave, you got it back. In fact, let me read a passage of scripture, Bobby, that really nails this whole process 
of how the land is returned uh, on that 50th year. So reading at Leviticus 25, verse 13, on this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. If you make a sale, moreover, to your friend or buy from your friend's hand, you shall not wrong one another. Corresponding to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your friend. He is to sell you according to the number of year of crops. In proportion to the extent of the years, you shall increase its price. And in proportion to the fewness of the years, you shall diminish its price. For it is a number of crops he is selling to you. So you see the importance of setting a fair price in the return of property. And then the principle is really nailed uh, by God through Moses in verse 17. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. So you can't just do anything you want in a land deal. You can't do anything you want in a business deal. As believers, as Christians, we are bound by God's word to be fair, even to be generous. And that is good business. Good business in God's sight is when we treat other people fairly and respectfully. It has everything to do with fairness and equity in commerce and in the way you buy and sell land. And I think that that's very applicable uh, to today. Uh, Price gouging is something that God doesn't like. Um, Not keeping contracts is something that God doesn't like. And so God has something to say about every part of our lives. Now, this is not emphasized in the New Testament, but emphasized in the Old Testament. And I think that we behave as better Christians when we understand the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, you have some very down-to-earth principles about the way we should live our lives and even run our businesses. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know that's really interesting, Mitch. And, and honestly, w- is it fair to say that so much of what we see in the Jubilee is actually intended to help us realize that it's not about us? That, you know, we're supposed to be loving our neighbor as ourselves, and that part of that is proclaiming liberty and being fair to each other. Yeah, being fair. Um, There's a recognition all the way throughout the Old Testament that begins with creation, that all the land that was created belongs to God. He then distributes it. Uh, This is one of the reasons why I strongly believe that the land of Israel belongs to the people of Israel because God gave that land to the Jewish people in Genesis 12, 15, 17, 22, and onward. God gave the land of Israel as part of the Abrahamic covenant to the Jewish people. But it is the land of the Jewish people given to the Jewish people by God. Right. So when you dispute as to whether or not the land of Israel belongs to the people of Israel, your argument is not with the Jewish people. Your argument is with God because it's his land. He gets to give it to whoever he wants. And I think that the year of Jubilee is a reminder to everyone that uh, God is the one who ultimately owns land and he's the one who gives us the land. And that's why it reverts back to the original owner. And there's a fair way of it reverting, but it still reverts back to the original owner. Uh, it reminds us that we need to trust God to provide because the land was the source of, of economics. It was the source of food. It was the source of trade. It's where your, your cows uh, ate. It's where your sheep grazed. It's where your fig trees were planted. So the land, of course, was the, almost the, it's an agrarian society. It was almost the, 
the total source of income. Mm -hmm. And so we need to learn to trust God. And so letting the land go fallow for a year where we're not to plant, we're not to reap, uh, that, of course, is one way uh, to learn to trust God. And so um, the year of Jubilee and even the sabbatical year is a great way to understand that we need to trust God. We also understand that everything belongs to God. Jubilee demonstrates that everything, including the land, belongs to God. And so the forgiveness of debts was a huge part of the year of Jubilee. And Jubilee reminds us of the great debt that Jesus paid for us. Because we sinned, we owed God and we owed others. But God canceled our debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God canceled our debts, just like he canceled the debts of the poor Israelite who had to give their land away to another uh, Israelite. Uh, at the 50th year, everything was restored, and God cancels the debt of our sin. We don't owe anybody anything because the Lord took the debts upon himself and canceled them through the shed blood of his son. And because of that, we're completely free. At Chosen People Ministries, our desire is to share the good news of Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, with Jewish people in ways that are challenging, creative, and compelling. We can only accomplish this mission with the partnership, prayers, and financial support of listeners like you, who have the desire and a passion to reach out to Jewish people all over the country. If that's you, please connect with us online. You'll find us at chosenpeople.com slash radio. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And right now, we're going to turn our attention to Lawrence Hirsch. I know that you're going to enjoy Lawrence's testimony. Lawrence is originally from South Africa, then moved to Australia. And uh, he and his wife, Louise, lead Celebrate Messiah, which is chosen people in Australia. And they're doing a, a great job. And so wait till you hear how God changed Lawrence's life. I believe my great-grandfather was the first Jewish ostrich farmer in South Africa. My grandfather always wore this special hat. He had also put on the uh, tefillin, the phylacteries around his, his arm and around his head. He would uh, take me to the synagogue uh, on Shabbat. As a young boy, it's coming up to my bar mitzvah. The rabbi made a speech and uh, he got up and he said, well, it's a shame that Lawrence is not as good at Hebrew as he is at rugby. So uh, I was the uh, sportsman in the family. My brother, Alan, on the other hand, was more of the philosopher, the thinker. When my brother came home from uh, an army pass on the weekend, he had this uh, Bible and some uh, literature, and my brother and I shared a bedroom together. So he hid that uh, literature uh, under his bed. I'm not really sure how this happened, but my parents found that Bible. And I was really quite shocked to, to see their response to my brother's um, interest. And I'd never seen my dad cry before, but I saw him cry. My brother put it aside and uh, vowed not to, to think about Jesus again. I met Louise when I was uh, 15 and she was 14. Even at a young age, talking about one day when we got married. And she had agreed that if we ever did get married that uh, she would convert and become Jewish. It was at that time uh, that uh, Jews in South Africa were wondering about the future. And uh, a lot of Jews decided to go to Australia. I had to consider leaving behind my 
my beautiful uh, girlfriend. And that was extremely traumatic. So I had a little deal with God. God, if you'd bring us back together, if we could see each other again, I would become a good Jew and that will bring up our children to be good Jews. And in that year, things really began to change. My brother, once we had come to Australia, started to think about Jesus once again. He became a very strong believer in Jesus. He had a very a supernatural encounter with God. His life was completely changed. He was saying things like, I really love Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. And I thought that was very odd. First of all, because Jesus was a man and he lived 2,000 years ago and I couldn't understand this love that they shared for one another. Not only that, of course, Jesus was dead. So how could he, he love Jesus? And it really didn't make any sense to me. And he just said, listen, Lawrence, I want to read to you. He started to read about this man who had been rejected by his people, who had come to suffer and die for the sins of others, not his own. And after he had read the scripture to me, I said to him, well, that's obviously all about Jesus, and that must be in the New Testament. Well, of course, he was very quick to show me that he had just read from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, the prophet who wrote, 700 years before Jesus. I was really struck with that prophecy. It was a prophecy that really made me think that there is some truth to what my brother was sharing with me. That made me feel very uncomfortable. Always felt a very strong connection with my Jewish identity. And here I was being confronted with uh, the truth about Jesus being the Messiah. I started to, to think to myself, really Jesus could be our Mashiach, our Jewish Messiah. And if he is, well then, I had to, as a Jew, believe in him. And so I came to a point when the opinion of God became more important to me than the opinion of my people. That was very difficult because I was worried about what would my mom and dad think? What, what would my family think if I went the same way as my brother? But that night, I prayed to accept Yeshua as my Mashiach. That was the day that my life completely changed. I phoned Louise. She's back in South Africa, and I shared with her, I said, look, uh, Louise, I've got something to tell you that I pray to accept Jesus as my Messiah. And I was totally shocked at her response. She said, so have I. Louise and I never talked about it, so we didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes. And in that first year, as I was coming closer and considering faith in Yeshua as the Messiah, so Louise was back in South Africa. And we were totally amazed how God kind of entered into our lives, revealed the Messiah to us at the very same time. Seven months later, we got married under a chuppah. In South Africa, Louise became pregnant and she had a very normal pregnancy. And eventually, Sarah was born. But when Sarah was born, she didn't cry. The doctor had come in to, to speak to us. And he told us that Sarah was born with no brain. And he said, well, we don't think Sarah will live. She'll probably only live two or three days, which of course, those words went right over our heads and we were totally shocked at, at what we were hearing. And we knew in our hearts though that we couldn't just walk away from Sarah. And so uh, we took her home the very next day and uh, Sarah was um, very unwell. Louise, as a beautiful mother, was just praying that God let Sarah live. Let there be a miracle, let Sarah be healed. I was angry with God in the first couple of years. I had to try 
and understand where was God. I knew that Sarah was going to live. And I can't tell you for sure that I was happy about that at first. I, to my uh, shame, I was really asking God to take her. I didn't really want to go through a difficult time. And God began to use Sarah in the most amazing way in our lives. The doctor had said that Sarah would be a vegetable, that she wouldn't smile. And um, the first time she smiled, she smiled at me. And she really melted my heart. And I really had felt like perhaps, you know, like a murderer, that I wanted her to die. I didn't want her to live. And I really repented of that because I knew God had a special purpose for Sarah's life to, to do something deep within me, to do something uh, in us as a family. Sarah today is 27 years old, and yet Sarah's life has spoken so much to us and to others, uh, even though she herself has never spoken a word. I came to realize, though, that, uh, that God works through difficult times in our lives in very powerful ways, that uh, he actually speaks to us louder through our suffering than he does through our pleasures. And Sarah's disability has taught us so much about God, it's taught us so much about life. Life is not perfect, there's a lot of challenges. I think there's one thing that is common to all humanity and that is suffering. And he uses all these things in our lives to speak to us in very profound ways. And that makes God very impressive, the way that he can actually use difficult life circumstances uh, to teach us and to mold us and to make us into, God willing, better human beings. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And uh, Mitch, I've, again, just really enjoyed uh, our conversation so far about the year of Jubilee. And uh, as you wrapped up our last segment, uh, you were talking about how Jubilee reminds us that our debts are forgiven in and through the Messiah, in and through what Yeshua has done for us. And uh, that just brought to my mind Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, which I think it's important for us. I, I just want to read those passages because it really captures, again, what, what you were saying about uh, the Jubilee and how it points to uh, the fact that our debts are forgiven. So this is what Paul writes in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 13. He says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I think understanding sin as debt uh, in that we owe God something, and then we owe God righteousness, he has every right to give us back judgment for our unrighteousness, and yet because of his love, he chooses to cancel our deaths. It's magnificent, Bobby, and uh, Leviticus 25 is just such a great background to better understand this. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you've missed any portion of our study today, or if you'd like to hear the complete message, just visit us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. And if you sense God urging you to learn a little bit more about Israel, the Jewish people, and Jesus, then be sure to connect with us today. We'll send you a free booklet in the mail. Just call 888-293-7482. 
or you can also request a copy online when you visit us at chosenpeople.com slash radio. And now to wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction, here's Mitch and Michael Rydelnik. Yivarechacha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panavalecha V'yaseim lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem shall Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.